Hi, I'm Daniel Lenzian, host of Western New York Soundstage from Buffalo Rising and Local Matters Studios. Western New York Soundstage is a podcast that looks to explore Western New York's creative economy through a series of conversations with artists, musicians, producers, directors, and authors from Western New York and beyond. On today's episode, I speak with Scott Propiak, the executive director of the Birchfield Penny Arts Center. The center houses an extensive collection of artworks by artist Charles E. Birchfield and hosts rotating exhibitions of significant regional and contemporary artists that feature a wide range of artistic styles and mediums and provides visitors with a diverse and enriching cultural experience. Currently on display is the biennial exhibition, Art in Craft Media, which recognizes and elevates objects made in glass, wood, fiber, metal, ceramic, and more. Throughout its history, art and craft media has celebrated the incredible work that defines and redefines the flexible definition of craft based on the vision of the late Sylvia L. Rosen. Scott and I have a great conversation around art and craft media, which you can check out at the Birchfield Penny until March 10th, 2024. For tickets and more information, check out the links in our show notes. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Scott as much as I did. Scott, thank you so much for meeting with me today. How are you? I'm I'm terrific. It's, it's really starting to be fall, <laughs> winter, <laughs> and, and I'm okay with that. Well, perfect time to be inside and look at some amazing artwork. Definitely. I think that one of the things that's interesting about the Birchfield Penny is that our attendance peaks between October and April. So people in Buffalo and in the region really... They run to the museums when they're <laughs> when when they get a little stir crazy, as they should. Well, can you tell us a little bit about your position at the Birchfield Penny? Sure, I'm the executive director here at the Birchfield Penny Art Center, but I've been here for over 27 years, and I've been in every position possible. I think I've been the registrar, I've been a curator, I've been the chief curator, and in January I was appointed as the executive director. Wow! Well, congratulations. Uh, looking at your bio online, I'd love to read this, and this is by no means a gotcha moment, but <laughs> something that I'm like, wow, what an amazing responsibility that I'd love to talk about. It says, he holds overall responsibility for the Birchfield Penny's achievement of its mission in service to the public, determining the arts and cultural vision and providing oversight of all Birchfield Penny administrative, curatorial, programmatic, and educational initi initiatives. That is a huge responsibility, like a mouthful for me to even uh, get out. How did you come to all this responsibility? How did you start at the Birchfield Penny? I always like to tell people that I'm a I'm I'm a, a bit of an outlier in the in the museum industry. My background was actually in IT. And the first thing that I had done was worked with digitizing the collection because I have a really strong social position that when it relates to museums, and that is that. Museums hold things on behalf of the public. They're not they're not my things. They're not our staffs. They they belong to the public. And um, providing access was always really important to me. And being able to actually have a, a, a large umbrella view of how we achieve that goal throughout our work is important. And unique to the Birchfield is the fact that we are dedicated to the art and artists of our region, which means anybody who has lived or lives here now is part of our mission. And I think that that's a big shift for, for the museum conversation. Normally it's, you know, about aesthetics and all of these other things, but for us, it's that plus 
the lives of the people that are in our community. And for Buffalo, that's a pretty diverse group and it's a really exciting place to occupy. In terms of uh, determining sort of the arts and cultural vision, what is exciting for you about that position? Or I guess I'm sure collaborating and working with others in the community to create kind of the vision of the Birchfield Penny. Well, I think it's that, you know, we we exist as a, as a center point and we can bring people together and at the same time provide a platform for elevating the voices of artists and the conversations that they're having within their own work. A lot of that comes from personal experience. A lot of that comes from sort of larger, larger visions of the world and the experience of being human. But some of it is also the the anchor in our past and understanding how we got to where we are now, both from a, a celebratory and critical eye. And I think that there are very few organizations within communities that provide that that space. Usually organizations are more specifically topic driven. Sure, we do it through the arts. That's that's one that's one small area where all these conversations can happen. And it happens at, at varying ages throughout people's lives. You know, I don't think that people have that opportunity often, particularly with younger learners, right? They're told sort of here's a structure, here's how you how you do things. Rarely do people stop and ask others, so what are you thinking about? What what what's important to you? And I think that if we're building strong community, we have to be receptive to those voices. We kind of danced around this a little bit, but I'd love to just ask directly, why is an organization like the Birchfield Penny vital to a city like Buffalo? Well, I think that, again, Buffalo has a, a diverse a diverse community, and in Western New York, is a, it has a diversity in its region, ur- urban and rural populations. I, I know that we have visitors come from cities from across the U.S., and a lot of them actually say that there's nothing in their own community that is like the Birchfield Penny, that actually provides a space for for that. In in Buffalo, you know, the decisions that we make on the development of the city, particularly now at this point in our history, they're critical and we can and we can actually be a forum for that and 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 and, and making sure that people's voices are heard. And decisions in the future are ones that are, are made with that kind of input, but also we're not looking back and saying, why did these four people in this room decide how all of us should live? Right. And so that is something that people will frequently say about the history in Buffalo. It's like, oh, this small group of people decided we were going to do this one thing, and now we all have to live through what those results are. Hopefully, if we provide more spaces for conversations to occur, we can at least understand why the decision's made, but also, you know, we can also maybe impact the decision. Hmm, Thank you. Currently open is the Art and Craft Media Exhibition. What's the history of this exhibition? That's 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 a, a perfect example of somebody stepping up and saying that they wanted a group of, of people who didn't have broad respect in our community to get respect. So it was established in 1988 with the vision of Sylvia L. Rosen, and she was an artist who was originally from Ohio, and she was a ceramic artist, and when she moved to Buffalo, a lot of people in the arts community said, oh, that's not that's not art, that's craft. And her experience was after traveling around the world that in internationally, craft was actually held on the same level as painting and sculpture, and particularly in in Asia, you know, and she didn't understand why that wasn't true here. And so Sylvia, along with her husband, Nate, established an endowment with the intention of having a biennial exhibition where we would always, at least every two years, celebrate craft art and what's evolving in the medium. And so that has expanded from the time that it started. She provided the format for us to actually 
present the exhibitions, but at the same time, she understood that over the years, the way that people work with and identify as craft artists would, would shift. And so it originally started with the idea of people working in ceramic, wood, fiber, metal, and glass, the five primary mediums of craft art. But honestly, I think that there's also a big part of the conversation that is people making things by hand. I, I like to think of it as being fully involved in, in the work. Whereas sometimes within contemporary art, you have painters that take a traditional route, but sometimes they, they're looking at the conversation of their work. And so how it's produced may not be directly by their own hand. It might be, you know, a concept or a collage, bringing things together in different ways. But in craft, I really see the artist as being married to the materials, whatever they're working with at the time, but married to those materials in a way that realizes something that is completely entirely their own. Hopefully that has a connection to us as an audience. How has presenting or sponsoring or putting on this exhibition perhaps maybe shifted your view of how you look at other forms of art? It's that's a that's a fantastic question because I actually instead of trying to look at the way that craft is uh, is informed by fine art traditional ver definitions of fine art I've started to look at other media types and I was I was thinking about maybe film and how a filmmaker could be a craftsman right they could actually be both a camera a cameraman they could be an editor they can be a sound technician and they can actually fully possess the the work that they create or when I look at painting sometimes I think about the way that the material choices that the painter uses and how they build up their surface and how they're thinking of it not just as a flat surface but dimensionality within the work is different so i i've i've flipped my consideration of how these things get applied to craft and instead start to look at other works and think what is the craftsmanship like in the work that they're making well, I think that that's so cool, right, too, about a place or a space like the Birchfield Penny that can invite sort of, you know, a lot of uh, revisiting because they're always sort of shifting exhibitions, but also sort of seeing things in sort of perhaps conversation within the actual architecture of the space can really sort of make you start to think, oh, like, look at this, like, where the, you know, the Roy paintings were and now is now this craft thing or these other things that can really start to affect and maybe open up or broaden the idea of what is art or what is craft or is there even a difference between art or craft or mm -hmm. how can we see art in, in other places or even in our own city? I, I, I think that that's, that's so true to the way that I view the art world now is um, I think that most people start with a message, something that they want to convey, a feeling that they have. And then in, in today's art world, the material follows the intention. And so you can actually say, if you have traditionally been a painter, that maybe working with fi uh, fiber arts would be better to convey a, an emotional position that you're taking. And, and you're free to do that. The, the silo, the history of silos within the arts have been broken down and really the the overall aesthetic and, and, and emotional position of the artist is, is the thing that comes forward. Well, I'd love to talk a little bit about a name that we mentioned, uh, uh, Sylvia L. Rosen. Did you know Miss Rosen? I did. We were we were dear friends. She actually shaped a lot of my um, ideas about the art world. As I said, 
you know, I didn't come from a traditional art background. And so when she used craft to express a larger picture for me of the art world, it opened my eyes and my mind to the ways that I can consider the entire visual landscape in which we all exist, right? Every time we turn around, we're seeing architecture designs on our streetscapes. We're seeing, you know, pictures that by the thousands that we see in social media or on or in advertisements. And, you know, by using craft, what I learned from her, I really started to develop a, a much greater level of critique when I thought about my own experience as an individual, but also the way that that critique and that conversation happens broadly within public conversation. You know, we communicate on so many levels. We do it with gestures. We do it with words. We do it with sounds and we do it with compositions. And so how do those things come together? And Sylvia, Sylvia was fascinating. She had, before she became a ceramic artist, she was studying watercolor painting in, at, at the Ohio State University. And she realized that under, under her professors that, that there was something that she really appreciated about form and that, and that what you could get from form in ceramics was more meaningful for her. And she produced work throughout her entire life. She, I think that the last ceramic pot that she made she was I think 101 and it was always and she was always learning she whether she was in Buffalo or in Florida even when she was in Ohio like when she started in Ohio she was always making artwork and she was not just making artwork for herself but she was actually trying to encourage other people to see artwork as a as a, a place for them to express themselves and not just in a contemporary sense but also to pay tribute to the artist that came before her. So one of her favorite things was her glaze on her pots was most frequently a celadon color. And celadon was a, a, was something that she had, had seen in Japanese ceramic works that were hundreds of years old. And that color became something that she associated with everything. She worked really hard, not just in her artwork, but also in her in her life's work with her family's company to actually make sure that she could build up the resources to make opportunities possible for others. And she did that throughout her life, including situations like buying kilns for students and having workshops and not just about directly making work, but also hosting lectures on craft and other art areas and collecting art by artists in the community. She, she would frequently buy paintings and objects by artists knowing that that support in acquiring their work was not just for her to build a collection, but it was to show them that she supported them and she supported what they were trying to do. She really sounds like an amazing woman. I'm so glad that uh, she had the impetus to kind of uh, start the conversation around uh, art and craft media. What are some of the highlights of this exhibition? I think that it starts with our juror. A unique aspect of this exhibition is every two years, we have a different juror who selects the work for the show. And that's been groups of artists, that's been individual artists, that's also included directors from museums from across the U.S. But this year's juror is Peter Jones, who is both an educator and a ceramic artist himself. He is a Seneca artist who when I first became aware of his work, he was trying to use traditional Seneca ceramic methods to make his sculptures. And he's such a, an incredible individual that it wasn't enough for him in his own practice to, to rekindle this knowledge 
of, of pra past practice, but he's also over the years trained others and created a whole group of artists making, making work in that traditional method. The juror always sets the tone for what's selected. They, you know, there's themes that they look for in the work and they, in, in the way that they bring artists together. But also included in that is the fact that because he was the juror, we had more submissions this year than we normally ever do. And a lot of them were from Seneca, Seneca artists that were aware that he was a juror and, you know, and, and thought like, oh, here's an opportunity that maybe in the past, because the juror wasn't Seneca, they weren't even aware of. But, he, you know, that, that was really important. There's some works in the show that have been uh, recognized with either acquisition awards, merit awards, or there's a, 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 a one award of the Langley Kenzie Prize, which is a solo show on the opposite year of the exhibition. And this year, that artist is Anne Clark, who was a, a dean of arts at Syracuse University. She's uh, since retired from that position, but has, be, has put herself full-time into making work. The acquisition piece was a, a work by Gary Sabanowitz, an incredible artist. And I'm, I, I can't actually pronounce the name of the other acquisition award, but there, there was also an, another piece that was acquired for the collection that was by a Seneca artist. And then there was Margaret Mead Award for Merit. It was awarded to an artist, Hayden, who, who is the director of the Seneca Iroquois National Museum. You know, it was a, a chance for the exhibition to really celebrate sort of broadly the diversity of our region and not just the, the diversity of Buffalo, but really the all of the counties that we, we present here at the Birchfield. Fantastic. What do you hope people leave feeling or thinking about after seeing this exhibition? With craft art, it's interesting because the works are reminiscent of things that people might have in their houses already. I hope people see that there's a broad diversity in the types of way that artists make work, but also that they, they look at these things and think, hey, that's not so dissimilar from what I have in my house. Maybe I should be thinking more about the aesthetics of those things around me and how I surround myself with things that are meaning that provide meaning in my life. I think that with over 50 artists in the exhibition, you're also looking at a broad range of voices. And always, I think, with craft art, when it's celebrated in an exhibition, that people understand that the art world is a broad space and that they too might want to actually explore ways to actually express themselves in, in visual terms. Fantastic. Well, those are my questions. Thank you so much for your generosity and all your answers. I always like to end an interview, though, by saying, um, is there anything that you feel left unsaid or anything you'd like to share with our listeners before you go? The only thing that I would add is that, you know, when it comes to the Birchfield Penny Art Center is, is that I hope that people realize that this really is their museum. Right. You know, back to my, my initial statement about the position that we occupy in our community is my hope always for this institution is that People always feel welcome here, that they feel like they can produce things with us, and that together we can actually provide uh, bridges throughout the different communities that, that exist within our region. Scott Propiak, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It was really excellent to meet you, and I hopefully I will see you at the Birchfield Penny soon. Great. Thank you so much. It was fantastic to talk to Scott. Art and Craft Media is on display at the Birchfield Penny Arts Center until March 10th, 2024. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with more episodes where we will explore our local creative economy through a series of conversations with artists, musicians, producers, directors, and authors from Western New York and beyond. This episode was produced by Jessica Marinelli. Addison Schoonmacher engineered this episode. 
In addition to this podcast, you can check out our local event guides posted bi-monthly on buffalorising.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show. If you like this show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Western New York Soundstage from Buffalo Rising and Local Matters Studios.